You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. God should never grow old. It should never be common because it's life-giving. Word of God is life-sustaining. When we look at the Word of God, we must not read it and treat it as if it was just mere interesting ideas, interesting theologies or theories and great stories. No, we must treat it as it is, the true inerrant Word of God. God's heart revealed to us. The Bible may sometimes seem difficult to understand, let alone apply to your life. But as you'll learn in today's message with Pastor Dave, God reveals His heart to you through His Word. So be careful to not let Scripture become common or mundane. The Bible is living and active and has the power to change lives. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 7 as he begins his message. Don't be a Pharisee. We're going to be in John chapter 8. Actually, we're going to begin in verse 53 of chapter 7. And everyone went to his own house. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him and sat down, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, Let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So today's message involves two questions. Two questions. And as we come into chapter 8, there seems to be a controversy surrounding chapter 753 through chapter 8, verse 11, the same scriptures that we're going to study today. And I think we need to address that controversy. So that would be question number one. Is this story about the woman taken in adultery actually part of scripture? Now you might say, well, why? It's in our Bibles. And I would agree with you. But let me give you what is going around 
through the many scholars that have looked at this and studied this. In some of the ancient manuscripts that they have found, this account of John's is not included. It's not there. But in other ancient manuscripts, this account is in the Gospel of John, but not in this place. Now, this one's going to throw a loop for you. In another manuscript, this story is here, but it's in Luke 21. So you see why we have this controversy. So you might be asking, how do we reconcile this controversy? Well, I think it's extremely easy. I agree with most scholars. This passage of Scripture is indeed inspired by the Holy Spirit, and as one commentator put it, quote, a fragment of authentic gospel material, unquote. I mean, look at John chapter 8. Look at it as a whole. The first section sets up everything else. It sets up the entire rest of the chapter. In fact, it fits perfectly here, this verse. I believe that the development of the entire chapter rests entirely on this story. I mean, after Jesus' encounter with this woman and the Pharisees, the next thing Jesus says is, I am the light of the world. It fits perfectly with what he tells the woman. Likewise, as we get to verse 8, uh, 15 and 16 and 26, Jesus says words about regarding what is true and false judgment. Once again, it fits perfectly with what he is saying to this woman. And in verses 21 and 24, he repeats the phrases, die in your sins. And this would clearly relate to the judgment of the woman. And the fact that the chapter will end with them actually wanting to stone Jesus, well, it's a parallel to the opening story which we have before us. So I believe it fits perfectly, and I believe it is truly inspired by the Holy Spirit right where it's supposed to be. This story we're studying today is a perfect transition from John 7, 52, where Jesus is at the feast, to John 8, 12 the light of the world. If you take out this account, the transition becomes too abrupt. It becomes too abrupt and it has no meaning. So we come to John 8. And once again, we are faced with an all too familiar story. Let me caution you about reading a story that is this familiar. Familiarity can be a danger when we're studying scriptures. And just because we've heard several times, several preachers, teachers, or read commentaries about this story, doesn't mean that God can't speak to you today. Doesn't mean that God has something for you today. So don't sit back and go, I've heard this one before. Don't do that. Open up your hearts, your ears, and allow God, through His Spirit, to minister to you through this time. Why? Because the Word of God is fresh. The Word of God is alive, and you know the verse in Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the vision of the soul and the spirit, and of the joints and of the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We must allow God's Word to search us, to convict us, to do the work in us that it was sent to do today. We must be open to his word. We must glean from it that which he purposed it for today. That's why you're here. 
so that God could speak to each and every one of your hearts something of value in his word. The word of God should never grow old. It should never be common because it's life-giving. Word of God is life-sustaining. When we look at the word of God, we must not read it and treat it as if it was just mere interesting ideas, interesting theologies or theories and great stories. No, we must treat it as it is, the true inerrant word of God. God's heart revealed to us. God's breath breathed onto these pages by the Holy Spirit. That's how we must look at it. We must hold the word of God up to our hearts. And put our lives before the word of God, allow God to do the work in us. It's very interesting that the more of the word of God you get, the more you want. The more you get it, the more you feed on it, the more you want. And the word of God seems to create an appetite in you for the word of God. Nothing else satisfies like the word of God. There's so much in it. It's so powerful. It's so dynamic. And when you're really being taught the word of God, when you're really studying the word of God, you really get into the meat of things. You find yourself growing and you find yourself being strengthened and being able to face all sorts of difficulties in your lives. Peter said, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do this through studying his word. We do this through reading, listening, studying. And as we do this, our faith grows, our heart grows, and we become to know God more and more. And we begin to become more like him. And the Holy Spirit begins to transform us and conform us into the image of our beloved God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That being said, I have a second question for you today. I want to ask this question. Are you a Pharisee? Well, you know, you might be a Pharisee if your official title is longer than your name. You might be a Pharisee if you're willing to be merciful once. You might be a Pharisee if you have two dogs named Faithful and True and they're killer pit bulls. You might be a Pharisee if everyone outside your circle of friends and most of them inside your circle of friends are always wrong. You might be a Pharisee if that little small voice of God sounds a lot like yours. And finally, you might be a Pharisee if you know the word of God, but not the God of the word. Are you a Pharisee? So as we begin this wonderful chapter, Jesus finds himself once again in conflict with the religious leaders. This time, it's the Pharisees. But it's different this time because this time they've set a trap. They've set a snare for our beloved Jesus, and they want to find something that they can accuse him of, something that they can remove him once and for all. Because remember their intent. We saw that back in chapter 5. Their intent was to kill Jesus. That's what they wanted to do. So they had to find something to snare him with. So as we begin our study, in 53 it reads, And everybody went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. The feast is over. Chapter 7 was all about the Feast of Tabernacles. The feast is now over. Everybody retreats to their own home, but Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. He went there to rest, probably, and he went there a lot to pray and commune with the Father. It's kind of like his prayer closet, if you will. His adversaries went home. Jesus went to the mount. Remember, Jesus didn't have a home. Yes, you could say Jesus was homeless. 
He didn't have a home. Remember when the guy wanted to follow him? He said, hey, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus basically camped out. But in the morning, he was up and he was ready to go back into the temple to continue to teach the people who came to him. Remember at the feast, many believed upon him and many were curious about what he had to say. Look at verse 2. And now early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and sat down and taught them. He sat down and taught them. So Jesus is teaching the people. What's he teaching them about? His topic, the kingdom of God and how close it is at hand. He's teaching them about repentance. He's teaching them about giving them the good news. He's teaching them about himself. So basically, they're there. And all of a sudden, these Pharisees barge in. Look at three and four. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman is caught in adultery in the very act. They basically barge into his teaching. They interrupt him. They're causing a scene because they have something to address him with. See, this is the way of the Pharisee. The Pharisee's needs are always greater than anybody else's. No matter who you're talking to, no matter to whom you're speaking to, no matter what you're talking about, if the Pharisee needs your attention, they're right there, and they interrupt. They want to know something, and they can't wait to ask you. They need to know it now. They need an answer right away. It doesn't matter what you're speaking about or to whom you're speaking. So these guys barge into Jesus' teaching. They come into the circle, and they throw this woman on the ground in front of them. And everybody else is looking in. They accuse the woman of being caught in the very act of adultery. See, another thing about a Pharisee is they have no tact. They don't know what the word discretion means. They want to embarrass this woman, and they want to embarrass Jesus. They want to embarrass him in front of everybody else. See, Pharisees love to expose other people's sins. Their sin always looks bad on someone else. They want to expose other people's sins. Why? Because it makes themselves look so righteous. Pharisees show great contempt and disdain for this woman. But if you know anything about the Pharisees, this is nothing new, because the Pharisees showed great contempt and disdain for most women. In fact, they would stand on the corner and they would pray out loud, Lord, thank you for not making me a Gentile, and really thank you for not making me a woman. They had complete disdain and contempt for the female sex. In verse 5a, they quote Jesus the law, and I love that. They're telling Jesus the law. It's like he didn't know it. 5a, now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. They were correct. The commandment was clear. The penalty for adultery was death by stoning. But something, or should I say, someone was missing. It takes two to commit the act of adultery. So where was the man? The law states that both the man and the woman should be stoned. It clearly states that it's both the man and the woman. So once again, we see the pharisaical way of thinking. They choose which part of the law they want to enforce. They choose which part of the law is good for them and benefits them. 
I love it. One commentator said this, quote, the heartlessness of the woman's captors was as immoral as the promiscuity of the woman, unquote. Their plan was plain. Let's look at verses 5b to 6a. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something to, of which to accuse him. It was a trap. They had laid this trap for Jesus. Come on in, said the spider to the fly. They laid this trap out there, hoping Jesus would walk into a compromising position. They laid this trap out surprisingly. They tried to force Jesus into taking one of two positions. If he agreed with the law, the people would question, wait a minute, does he still sympathize with publicans and sinners? How could he sympathize with them? He just agreed with the law. On the other hand, if he didn't agree with the law, then he was a lawbreaker, and being the breaking the Mosaic covenant, guess what? They could stone him. They could stone him. What I love about this is you got to study verbiage and you got to study Greek. You got to study the various languages. It's pretty cool. The verbiage here signifies that they repeatedly ask him, What are you going to do, huh? 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 What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Hey, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Jesus? Come on. What are you going to do? We need an answer here. What's going on? They prodded him, almost badgering him for an answer, forcing him to commit. See, another part about a Pharisee, they always push their agenda to the point of being obnoxious. Because the Pharisee can never be wrong in his own eyes. These Pharisees had malice in their hearts to the point of hatred. They had absolutely no desire for righteousness. Only to keep the law. The law had been broken. We got to keep the law. If they really wanted to clean up morality in Jerusalem, they should have started with themselves. I mean, we preach against sin. We preach against hatred. We preach against all sorts of evils that are in God's word. But judgment begins in the house of God. Judgment begins here. We need to clean up our acts before we can start pointing out the acts of others that need to be cleaning. You know, take the railroad tie out of my eye so I can remove the speck in my brother's eye. We need to clean up our own house, folks. I imagine... These guys were standing around, those that weren't chiding Jesus. Come on, answer, answer. We're sitting around going, oh, we got him this time, Ed. We got him, yeah. We got him. He has no idea what he's going to do. We got him. I think what Jesus did next surprised everyone. I can tell you what Jesus did not do. Let's look at that first. He never reacted in anger towards the woman or the Pharisees. He never was in outrage of this glaring sin. He didn't scream at the woman, and he didn't revile the Pharisees, did he? Those who brought him the woman. All he does is he stoops down and begins to write. Interesting. This was a show of humility. This was a show of humility. By stooping to this low posture, he identified with the humiliation of this woman. He did that to identify with so he could care for her, so he could ease her embarrassment of this woman, and so he could lead her to forgiveness. I'm sure she was surprised as anyone else. I'm sure no one had ever treated her with this kind of respect before. One commentator I studied said this, quote, One may say this story illustrates the great problem. How can God show love and grace to the sinner without being unjust, without breaking his own law? He does it by first identifying with the sinner in their low condition, unquote. 
What did Jesus do? Look at verse B. You know what he did. Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. I love that. He's oblivious to, come on, Jesus, come on. Hey, what's the answer here? Come on, what are you going to do? We want to know. He's oblivious. He stoops down and he starts writing in the sand. The famous writing in the sand. What did he write? What did he write? This is the only occasion, by the way, that we see Jesus writing. So cursive is important. What did Jesus write? What did he write? Well, there are some manuscripts that have added to the scripture that says when Jesus wrote, he was writing the sins of the people that were present. It's plausible. It's extremely plausible. Why? Because Jesus knew what was in the heart of every man. He knew what was going on. So it's very plausible that he wrote the sins of every person. It could very, very easily be true. But what he wrote has been a speculation of scholars throughout the ages. The truth is, we really don't know what he wrote, but we can surmise it. But I love the fact that Jesus just stooped down and began writing without even listening to them. He kept on writing and he didn't even leave. He paid them no mind. And I'm sure this really drove the Pharisees wild. I mean, not paying attention to me? How dare you not pay attention to me? I want to talk about me. And when, you're, when I'm done talking about me, you can talk about me. Because the Pharisees, all they want to do is talk about themselves. They want to show you how righteous they are. They want to show you how wonderful they are and how they've obeyed every law. The Pharisee wants to talk about themselves. But Jesus didn't buy into that. He just stood down there and he started writing. So they continue to badger him. Look at verse 7. And when they continue asking him, he raised up and said to them that he was without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Imagine the look on their faces when Jesus stands up and looks them in the eye. Whew. What did they see? Did they see their disdain on Jesus looking back at them? I'm not really sure because I know Jesus didn't have a lot of good things to say about the Pharisees. He didn't have a lot of great things to say about the Pharisees. But when you look into the eyes of your Lord, your heart has to melt. Your heart has to melt. So Jesus looks him in the eye and says, okay, if we're going to stone her, we got to do it lawfully. We're going to stone her. She committed a sin. we got to do it lawfully. The law says that the witnesses must start the stoning. Here's the rock. Here's the rock. You're the witness. Start the stoning. Instead of passing a sentence on the woman... He passed the sentence on the accusers. He didn't say, don't execute her. He didn't say that. He knew what the law said. He knew what she was supposed to get. The wages of sin, death. Well, he knew that. He knew that. He simply demanded that it be done in a just and fair way. Jesus exposes the Pharisees' thinking, and this is how a Pharisee thinks. Let's punish the sins of others while we ignore our sins. That's a Pharisee. I'm going to punish you for your sin, but hey, don't look at mine. You are our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. 
We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.